behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept, and neither has Carl. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. <laughs> Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv. Starts now. What have you got on the best shows ever? Uh, Viv, two weeks until Christmas, uh, our second last episode of the year, we've managed to get for five and we haven't skipped a week, so uh, it's a pretty good achievement. Look, considering all the barriers in our way, including uh, no internet, constant renovations when working from home, my 1,000 COVID tests this week, it is actually pretty impressive that we've got this far. Uh, We're going to take a look back at the year that was, 2021. So much happened this year. Uh, Was it a good year? Oh, goodness. Uh, I think I'd have to go with no. I've forgotten so much that happened, though. You know, when looking back, my sense of time and space has been so discombobulated and so compressed that I got to stories from October and I was like oh that's the year done but there was still actually the first nine months of the year that I had to reassess and reprocess and I realized wow that was all this year and a lot has happened. Yeah it's been relentless I still feel like there's plenty more still to come between now and December 31. There's still a few weeks left and if we've learned anything this year it's that uh, a lot can change so I'd be hesitant to offer any predictions just yet lest in a couple of days they prove to be completely inaccurate. I think we will come back and do some predictions in early Jan is that right? Yes I'm comfortable doing them in January I'm just uh, worried that with this much time left in December uh, there's still so much more to come we could predict things that become you know almost like decade-old news by the time January rolls around. Right shall we get going? Let's do it. This week on That's Entertainment, it is part one of our look back on the year that was. From departing leaders and disappearing podcast episodes to talent tantrums and the devastating impact of the pandemic. Let's start with the uh, the year of consequence and cultural change. It felt like that really was the theme of 2021 as far as business is concerned, particularly uh, in the entertainment industry, but also in media as well. Uh, I think perhaps the biggest event of the year was uh, the unravelling of Sony Music and its leader, Dennis Hanlon. I think you're right, Jake, that it was the year of consequences and potentially cultural change rather than cancel culture, which I think some people would like to, to frame it as 2021 was the year of cancel culture. Instead, I think it was just the year where perhaps uh, it changed from decades gone by where there were fewer consequences and less, you know, momentum for change. This one was something that was huge because it was the secret that everybody knew, which was that Sony Music Australia, one of the country's biggest record labels, had some serious cultural issues and there were finally consequences for that with 
quite a few sort of prominent executives leaving the organisation, not necessarily accused of anything directly when they first left, but a lot has come out since then. And this really entered the mainstream media, right? So Nathaniel Cooper broke the story of of Dennis uh, leaving and and before that the departure of Tony uh, Glover, a very long-time executive of the business. Ultimately, that resulted in a, a number of uh, exposés by other media outlets, uh, including the ABC. Uh, this really became a coffee table story. Yeah, everyone was talking about it, even just everyday people, because everyday people might not have heard of Dennis Hanlon, but they'd heard his name when the likes of Delta Goodrum, Amy Shark, Guy Sebastian and all of the many, many very famous, very successful Sony artists thanked him on stage when they won various ARIA awards. So even people who aren't that engaged with the business of entertainment, when they started reading these stories, were like, hang on, why do I know that guy's name or why have I seen his face? And it's because at the ARIAs, somebody would say his name and then the coverage would quickly flash to his smiling face in the crowd and then flash back to the very grateful artist and what emerged was perhaps that that face wasn't always uh, as as smiling and happy as uh, we saw at the ARIA Awards. It's not lost on the industry either. There was a flash of Dennis Hanlon at this year's ARIA Awards on screen only for a few seconds, but everybody caught it. Uh, what is also interesting is that Sony Music uh, Head Office Global are yet to announce a replacement for Dennis. That position is still technically vacant. This was one of the reasons that I don't want to do predictions just yet because there are still quite a few unanswered questions over what next for Sony Music in Australia. It does feel like there's still quite a bit of a leadership vacuum there and a bit of a deafening silence from HQ. You know, there's been all this movement and all this momentum locally. So much has happened. There's, you know, now a industry-wide review of the music industry off the back of all of these stories that have broken. And yet, we don't really know what the future's going to look like, who's going to lead it, what's going to change. Uh, consequences outside of the music industry as well. Five uh, AA sacked Jeremy Cordo following his incredibly offensive and distasteful comments about Brittany Higgins. Uh, Spotify removed Pete Evans' podcast. Uh, Jess Rowe and Listener decided to pull its podcast interview with uh, Pauline Hanson. There are other examples as well. Clive Palmer's uh, very uh, distasteful anti-vax campaign which ran across <laughs> grant broadcasters this year, which we covered uh, in detail on radio today. Uh, there certainly were many consequences outside of entertainment and uh, in the broader media industry as well. I think one of the good things about 2021, not that there were lots, was that these things happened quite quickly. Nova Entertainment, which owns 5AA in Adelaide, acted very swiftly to remove Jeremy from the air when he said those awful things about uh, rape survivor Brittany Higgins. They really stuck to their guns with that as well. He came out and sort of apologised, but one of those apologies, it's not really an apology because he's since doubled down on some of his more problematic views. Pete Evans has been a problematic guy in terms of his views on medicine and science and food for quite some time, but media outlets have continued to platform him. But then Spotify removed that podcast over a violation of its standards Jess Rowe and SCA's listener were called out pretty quickly for giving Pauline Hanson another platform. That's not an example of censorship or somebody being silenced. Pauline Hanson is still a politician. She still gets the media's attention. She still has her own platform. She still has her own voice. 
but people just weren't happy with an entertainment brand in the form of Listener giving her yet another outlet and one which attempted to humanise her, which is Jess Rowe's brand of podcasting and interviewing and entertainment. All of these stories, the good thing about them is that it was swift and it was, uh, you know, sort of sufficient in that they did what they needed to do and they did it quickly without drawing it out. How do you think Jess handled that? Because I know she was quite upset at the time uh, based on the comments and statements that she made um, around the uh, pulling of that episode. I mean, th- th- there was a very swift pile There on. was. I think that's almost part of the risk, though, of giving someone like Pauline Hanson a platform. I do totally appreciate that Jess Rowe's point of view was everybody's a human. My, my podcast isn't about politics, so I totally disagree with... Pauline Hanson's views on immigration and Pauline Hanson's views on various things, but she's still a woman, she's still a human who's lived a very interesting life and I'd like to connect with her on that level. I can totally see how she thought that was a good idea and it probably was an interesting chat from that perspective. I just think 2021 is so highly charged, so divided. Pauline already has a platform. She doesn't need another one. We probably don't need to know about Pauline Hanson's love life. There are other interesting women who aren't blatant racist. So I sort of think that was the the consequence and Jess defended it initially. But then I think she sort of saw where the other side were coming from and then they removed the episode. In terms of uh, relationships, we could really count on reality TV for that sort of content. Uh, You spoke about Pete Evans a moment ago. Uh, He was cast on a reality show and and swiftly dropped from memory. I think that was this year. There's also been, and we've discussed this uh, on That's Entertainment uh, over the last sort of few episodes, there has been a lot of... uh, Ill-fated casting, shall we say, by reality TV executives uh, this year as well. Yes, and not necessarily accidental. So I think some, you know, sometimes they might be like, oh, no, I can't believe there's been blowback. I can't believe this has happened. It's almost getting to the point where there's been so many problematic people cast who are already known to be problematic And then there's the backlash and then there's a new story about how the TV network has acted quickly to fix the situation, removing them from the cast. I think that's a bit cynical. Like I think it's almost part of the plan now. It's not like these people are surprised bad people. As I've talked about before, you go to their Wikipedia page and 90% of it is about their arrests, their alleged domestic violence, their drug use, their convictions, their controversies. I just think we need to move away from from casting these people or finding people who aren't yet well known but are known in certain internet circles for being hugely misogynist or hugely homophobic. Yes, it will get headlines. One prediction I might go out on a limb and say uh, is that I think consumers will get increasingly tired of that roundabout in 2022 and just start to expect better casting. Do you think? Really? I'm not so sure about that. Not all consumers, (laughs) hashtag not all consumers, but ratings in traditional television are on the downward slope anyway, so it's quite an interesting balancing act for traditional television networks. Do you get more and more controversial, more and more ridiculous to get the headlines, to get the hate watches, to get the petitions, all of those things, or will that get a bit tired and will people just go to other platforms and other content that isn't so absurd? You know a reality TV show has made it when it gets its own vertical on news.com. Well, 
Yes, I mean, I guess so. It becomes a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? Some of the news stories about these TV shows and it de- it definitely fuels it. Married at First Sight is a great example where every time there's a petition to remove somebody from the air, it's almost beneficial for the show. It's the number one rating entertainment program. So brands can think about boycotting it in the way that they've previously boycotted the likes of Alan Jones for problematic content. But if that's where the eyeballs are, they almost need to be there. But again, I just think with declining traditional viewership, maybe TV will have to get a bit more creative and inventive in 2022. Let's talk about some of the efforts around cultural change in workplaces within the media and entertainment industry. We've seen quite a bit this year, uh, particularly the record labels announcing initiatives uh, at very interesting times uh, in order to support employees uh, and enact change. Uh, We've also seen that in radio. I think it was this year Nova announced a hotline. Um, SCA uh, have launched a a couple of initiatives. Universal Music launched an investigation into workplace culture. There seems to be a lot more talk around it this year than there was previously. And what will be interesting in 2022 is if this does actually lead to change. So obviously reviews, investigations are fantastic and they're a necessary first step. You need to know the extent of what's going on in your organisation and give people the chance to voice their concerns and have external third parties looking at at it from a wider perspective. It's what then happens with that review. We've not really heard much out of Universal Music Australia, another major record label here, and what's happening with their investigation, what consequences or changes there might be. The National Music Industry Review is only really just launching, so that is something that will play out in 2022. And, again, uh, radio stations like Nova, they have this hotline. We then don't really hear what's happening off the back of that. I'm sure that employees, both past and present, have reported various things at Nova. I'm yet to see the change that has happened from those reports. Up next, our favourite subject, talent changes in radio. Lucky this isn't um, going out visually because I think this <laughs> is... <laughs> I feel like every year there are more and more talent changes within radio. Uh, This year seems to take the cake. Just this week, actually, uh, ABC announced that Andy Park would take over drive on Radio National. I saw a post uh, from Angus O'Loughlin from the Hit Network on the weekend uh, saying he is leaving radio. Do we know what that means for Weekend Breakfast? Hit Weekend Breakfast hasn't yet announced who's replacing... Angus and Jules next year that felt like one of those rushed end of the year announcements where Angus has said he can't yet announce what he's doing next Jules Jerry uh his co-host took to Instagram and sort of joked about how many times she's had to say goodbye in radio after her various shows This one does sort of feel like the end it's not really alluding to uh but I'll be back I've got plans 
There's so much talent floating around though and I think there are still more changes to come. So what will be interesting is where everybody lands when the music stops in this game of musical chairs. Probably the most uh, surprising departure for me this year, even though there were rumblings leading up to it, but in terms of what was a great show that is no longer, was Jace and PJ on Kiss. But perhaps the story that's caught the most headlines, particularly over the last month, is the departure of uh, Lawrence Mooney from Triple M Sydney Breakfast, uh, which is now in the hands of lawyers. Yes, I think the departures of uh, Polly PJ Harding from Kiss 1011 in Melbourne and the departure of uh, Lawrence Moonman Mooney from Triple M in Sydney are quite <laughs> different. Uh, they couldn't be more different, really. PJ wanted to uh, move back to her native New Zealand to be closer to family and her fiancé after all the lockdowns of 2020 and 2021. She had great chemistry with her co-host, Jace Hawkins, a really great team and it felt like even though that show never really found a consistent footing in terms of ratings, it felt like an amicable departure with both her, her team and the audience. They now have to try and rebuild again with uh, the replacement Lauren Phillips. Moon Man, on the other hand, it was a very shrouded in mystery departure where he didn't get a big farewell, he didn't get a big build-up like PJ, he just disappeared Then the headlines, where's Mooney started, the speculation started, the gossip started, the questions continued. And very quickly we're getting an announcement that actually he's gone and he's taking it legal. So, again, that feels like something that unless it settles in the next few days out of court will be something that plays out in 2022. And I'm not sure that Triple M's parent company, Southern Cross Osterio, really wants all those headlines and all that destruction next year with everybody airing their dirty laundry. The other uh, breakfast radio show to get a very quiet exit uh, was Mikey and Emma from ARN's The Edge. And I wonder whether that's got anything to do with the departure of Ash London and Tom and Ollie from Hit Night. That's definitely one of the connections that people are drawing, as I say, as they're looking at where everyone's floating around at this late stage of musical chairs. Mike E and Emma's departure, as you say, was quite sudden and even Tom and Ollie's from Nights on the Hit Network, people didn't necessarily see that coming. Then it emerged that their contract hadn't been renewed. I did hear they'd been offered a major regional opportunity, but I then didn't really hear what that was or or where it got to. So the connection there is people are thinking Mike E and Emma might be moving to that national hit program and again I think there will be more announcements out of this it's only mid-December I think there could some of these questions could be solved before we ring in 2022. The other uh, one that's getting a bit of speculation in chat rooms is the departure of Bob Gallagher uh, from 973 in Brisbane and uh, whether that might have anything to do with uh, Kip Whiteman. Goodness, there's been so many changes this year that I these ones are actually quite recent that we're talking about and I'm getting still getting my head around the fact that it was Jane Kennedy left Triple M this year and, and now Mick Malloy's going as well and then there's all these things happening up in Brisbane. Kip left uh, Nova 1069's breakfast show and that was one where people sort of thought that he wasn't really done with radio. People are speculating that he will pop up again, unlike Bob where retirement makes much more sense. Kip is quite a bit younger and I think still has quite a few years 
left in him as a broadcaster, a presenter and an entertainer. So perhaps that will happen. But if I'm looking at this list of talent changes this year and some of the ones we haven't even covered, I really feel like anything could happen. It's an exhaustive list. Uh, Let's not skip over Wendy Harmer and Robbie Buck, uh, which was a really great show on ABC Radio in Sydney. James Valentine has replaced. What an incredible career for Wendy Harmer. I grew up listening to her on the Today FM morning crew back when it was a thing and it was number one in the ratings. Uh, it was such, what a time. Time. such great radio. Uh, and really her, uh, her results with Robbie uh, in terms of the ratings uh, up against you know, a very strong performer in 2GB, uh, it's not lost on anyone. Yeah, they really gave both... Both the number one FM show, Kyle and Jackie O, and the number one AM slash overall show, 2GB, with uh, Alan Jones and then Ben Fordham, a run for their money. There was a time when I was reporting on radio ratings when it really looked like they were edging up and could potentially become Sydney's number one breakfast show if they kept that momentum going. It was a really, really strong show and probably a good alternative, particularly when 2GB was uh, on the Alan Jones train. It was a, a talk show that was less extreme. Probably once Ben Fordham came on board at 2GB replacing Alan Jones, it didn't have as big a point of difference, but it really maintained its audience. It maintained its share. And I think it's a really good example of a show going out on a high, which is what Wendy said she wanted to do. They were still rating well. They were still happy. They were still doing good content. And, you know, they left before any of that changed. All right, up next on That's Entertainment, the year in leadership changes. Viv, let's start with nine. Hugh Marks uh, departed. Mike Sneesby was announced. Uh, there was a lot of talk about who Peter Costello and the board might put into that role. Ultimately, uh, Mike landed that gig. He was previously head of Stan, which has had a very successful entrance into the market. Were you surprised by his appointment or was it an obvious and sensible one? Mike was always in the running in terms of the press speculation and the industry predictions. But nobody really knew where it was going to land. Another really strong contender was Chris Jans, who had helped transform Fairfax and then Nine's publishing assets, making them more digital-focused, more profitable. That involved making a lot of tough calls. There was a time when Chris Jans was almost like the bad guy of publishing, despite being a, a lovely bloke. He had to really make some cutbacks really make some changes. And there was a time when I was at Mumbrella where we were just writing about layoffs and restructures and devastating stories where it really felt like the future of print and the future of some of those mastheads wasn't clear. Now the future of print is clear and the future of those mastheads is clear. So people thought that given the tough decisions Chris had made and the way he had helped that business unit survive and thrive made him a really strong contender. I guess the difference with Mike is that he'd come off such a strong run without those negative headlines because he had been at Stan, which was a growth story, not a change or decline story. So Stan is the streaming uh, video on-demand service that people pay for. It was originally a joint venture between Fairfax and Nine and then Nine took over Fairfax and it's been a really good story for them, a local streaming giant taking on the likes of Netflix, a strong subscriber base, some really good local exclusive content. It's a digital platform. It's still growing. So I can see why he was the one that got 
the gig because he has clocked up some pretty good achievements during his time at Stan. Nine uh, is really a great success story in that it's, I guess it's always been a, a serious player in the media industry, but with the acquisitions uh, and changes it's made and including Stan over the last couple of years, uh, it really feels like uh, you know the major player and a really invigorated and energised business at this point. They are definitely now positioning themselves as Australia's media company. I think that's probably because of how integrated and diverse they are. They've got radio assets such as 2GB and 3AW as well. They've got youth publications such as Pedestrian. They've got a lot of digital properties. They've got Stan. They've got the traditional Channel 9. Australia's media company is also potentially a bit of a dig at the Rupert Murdoch-owned News Corp uh, because Rupert is obviously a US citizen now and doesn't spend a lot of time in Australia compared to the nine executives. It definitely feels like there was a time where Channel 9 was in trouble and that time is over. There was also a lot of uh, scepticism back in 2018 when Nine bought Fairfax. Some people thought that that entertainment company would absolutely obliterate uh, the long-standing independence of the likes of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and the Australian Financial Review. As much as there have been some teething issues and some changes and some criticism, really that integration and that acquisition is going a lot better than most of the sceptics predicted. The other big leadership change which we touched on last week was the pending departure of Joan Warner as CEO of uh, radio industry body Commercial Radio Australia. Uh, I think the writing was on the wall when CRA announced that they bring in, uh, were bringing in rather a chief commercial officer in Joe Dick, uh, but still no announcements on who might replace Joan uh, in that role come March when she departs. Yeah, so Joe was appointed to the chief commercial officer role in March of this year. It was a new role and it was clearly pointing to some changes within that organisation and what they might try to achieve in the coming few years. They obviously do a lot of lobbying, a lot of trips to Canberra. Throughout the pandemic, there were all sorts of things that they tried to get done to to help the industry survive throughout that. But a chief commercial officer isn't really about the lobbying so much as it's about getting money from advertisers, making the medium more commercially successful rather than just relying on the likes of JobKeeper and, you know, fee reductions from government and whatnot. We still don't know who's going to replace Joan, though, whether Joe, who's only been there for a year by the time Joan departs, will step up and take that role, or as we talked about last week, whether they'll you know, go for someone a bit left of centre or someone outside of the radio industry. All right, up next on That's Entertainment, the year of COVID. Viv, let's talk about the coronavirus. Uh, It's led to a lot of controversies and cock-ups, some of which we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, But ultimately, in essence, it's been an incredibly uh, devastating and frustrating year, particularly for the media and entertainment industry, uh, especially those in the live sector, whether that's touring comedians or musicians or whatever it might be. That was the sector that was really left hung out to dry with very little government support uh, over the last 18 months, and especially in 2021. Yes, I was joking with a friend uh, the other evening that nobody should yet say 2022 is going to be my year. I think we should stick with perhaps 2025 is going to be my year because after the horrors of 2020 with the pandemic and lockdowns, people really thought that this year, 2021, 
might be better and yet we still endured more lockdowns, more outbreaks, more deaths, more uncertainty. We're really hoping that next year will be better, but it's really, it's now been two years of uncertainty and two years of devastation for those in the live sector and even for anybody looking to have a good time. So the list of cancelled gigs, cancelled festivals, cancelled theatre, everything, it would just go on and on and on and on and it's really difficult to plan in those circumstances. You look to other territories who are, you know, I guess, ahead of us in terms of COVID and their response to it and their vaccination rates, etc. cetera, uh, and you can take a bit of inspiration there. For example, in Ireland, new restrictions have just come in. They're just ahead of us in terms of vaccination rates. Uh, that's put a limitation on some live events, etc. as well. So we're definitely not out of the woods, uh, but obviously, you know, I think we'll start to see a rebuild at the very least next Next year. Um, this year we have seen a lot of controversies and cock-ups as you put it in the notes for today's <laughs> episode. I thought that was great uh, and very honest as well because tensions have run high. Uh, everyone takes a different position and has a different opinion on whether it's vaccine mandates or whatever it might be. Uh, there's been a good push by media in order to encourage vaccination. Kyle put out a song, Channel 9's put out an ad, uh, but all of it hasn't been without some heated debate and discussion. There's always going to be those who say stick to your lane and those people believe that perhaps media shouldn't be encouraging or in some people's views coercing consumers to make health-based decisions. That's a pretty predictable debate given the very, very vocal, very small minority of people who are against vaccinations. Kyle's Get Vaxxed Baby uh, campaign ended up being endorsed by Prime Minister Scott Morrison and New South Wales Health Minister Brad Hazard. Oh, 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 all right, stop. Vaccinate and listen. We are back with a brand new injection. Someone grabbed a hold of you tightly, rolled up your sleeves with a daily or nightly. Will this ever stop? Yo, he even got a call out by Media Watch, which normally likes to slam the likes of Kyle and you know they said that he'd actually done a lot of good work along with uh, Brooklyn Ross and 2GB's Ray Hadley in decreasing vaccine hesitancy so really that was quite a a good news story Uh, his co-host Jackie O also got vaccinated with AstraZeneca live on air when there was a lot of negative headlines and confusion around that vaccine What perhaps went less well was Channel 9's attempt uh, to jump on board that uh, because they released an ad that then ended up getting headlines for its incredible lack of diversity and uh, being all white. Uh, They did do a remake of that ad, I believe, and uh, included... uh I think it was Brooke Boney, uh, who, of course, is the entertainment uh, reporter on the Today Show uh, and a couple of their travel hosts as well. Uh, How did Twitter take to that? Twitter is not a barometer that I use to measure consumer sentiment and it's not a barometer that anybody should use to measure consumer sentiment. It's just a lot of angry people shouting into the void. Twitter did make a good point, though, with this original ad. A lot of people of colour and people from minority groups or just, you know, more diverse than Channel 9's white lineup of presenters were saying, we support what you're trying to do. We support the message that you're trying to get out there. But 
it doesn't reflect the diversity of Australia. And also some of the places where vaccine hesitancy needed to be overcome was the likes of migrant families and refugees and the Indigenous community. That ad does not speak to those people who needed the message, who needed the reassurance from the media and from people that look like them. If you've just got the likes of Scott Cam and Hamish Blake and the Today Show presenters, those people are well-known, they are well-liked, they are well-respected, but they perhaps won't speak to the people who needed to hear the message. Uh, one of the other stories from 2021 that caught both your attention and mine on the news desk, uh, I can't remember what month it was, uh, <laughs> was uh, Guy Sebastian uh, posting a video, Ray Hadley getting involved. Uh, I think we ran at least three or four stories on that that yes, week. Yes, we did. Uh, I believe that was in September, which actually isn't very long ago. But truly, if you told me that happened last year, I think I just would have believed you. Guy was part of the uh, hashtag Vax the Nation campaign, which was the music industry's attempt to, again, get more people vaccinated so that they could get back to doing what they love and what they need to survive, which is live music and uh, things in person because everybody's bloody sick of a Zoom concert in twenty. 21, he then got a bit of blowback from that vocal anti-vaxxer crowd and perhaps maybe from a few people who can't get vaccinated or who were just vaccine hesitant. Guy is one of those sort of people-pleasing performers. He's not generally very controversial. He's not somebody who puts himself out there. He's that very, you know, peace, love, that vibe. And I guess that was a confronting place to find himself in being the target of of vitriol and being seen to be divisive. So he put out what I would contend a very wishy-washy statement. I've always done everything that I can to support my industry, but um, the campaign was posted to my page without my direct involvement. And whilst uh, I, like everybody else in my industry, I want things to get going again. It is not my role to communicate in the way that that post was communicating. I would never, ever tell people what to do when it comes to their personal health choices. By some people, that was seen as a bit of a dog whistle to anti-vaxxers or people who were looking for a message that perhaps Guy didn't want them to get vaccinated and it just really, I don't think, did him any favours and he ended up going toe-to-toe with Ray Hadley, of all people. Hello, Ray. Um, I'm very disappointed in you, um, to tell you the truth, that you have recanted on or you've decided after what you said in March that vaccination's not as important as perhaps it was to you in March when you made comments to the Adelaide Advertiser. Uh, I'm equally disappointed in you, Ray. I think it's a very false narrative and you've actually missed the whole point of what I was saying. Uh, What's the point? um, Mate, I, I haven't said I don't support vaccinations. I'm double-jabbed myself. I, and like you said, you used a point against me that I said, when that thing's ready, stick it in me. But my point is that there are people who are, are personal to me, that, that I have personal relationships, um, that also fall into a category of consideration. And so I, I, I personally choose to be you know, inclusive of people who have genuine reasons. I mean, I'm talking about teachers who have taught for 25 years that can't teach. I'm talking about musicians and fellow crew that have legitimate medical reasons why they. it's a much diff, more difficult situation. Well, in the, hang on a second. Yeah, now, in your message, you never mention people with medical conditions. You never mention it. I've listened to it five times. You never mention it. 
You never, you never specifically but, but said I, I, uh, people who've got a medical condition I, shouldn't have a vaccine. But, but, but in my message, I said I, I support the initiative. I just think when the message is delivered, it shouldn't be done in a way to shame the people who don't fall into an anti-vax category. That made for some incredible radio. For someone who is, uh, does have a brand of being a people pleaser, uh, he does find himself in hot water an awful lot, though. I mean, he obviously was on stage with uh, Scott Morrison and, and Josh Frydenberg at some point around uh, funding for the art sector. Um, and uh, if, you, if you do a quick Google search on Guy Sebastian and the word controversial, over the last few years, there really have been... <laughs> quite a few unforgettable moments uh, from Guy. Uh, I think we need to wrap it there. I've got to go to Noosa. I think so. I'm exhausted from just... I'm so tired. Oh, I was going to say I'm exhausted from this horrible year and I'm still waiting for a, a COVID test result and you're off <laughs> gallivanting in allegedly COVID-free Noosa. Well, allegedly the tale COVID of two free. cities. The borders have just opened up here. So... Uh, <laughs> Touch wood. We'll see how uh, Three Nights in Noosa plays out. I'm sure there'll be an influx of uh, friends from Victoria and New South Wales uh, over the next week into Queensland, which is about bloody time uh, as far as I'm concerned. It's nice to have those borders open. Oh, yes. I was going to say it's about time Queensland does some heavy lifting <laughs> with, the, with the COVID situation. So I'm glad that you support us uh, coming into your much protected, very special state. Well, look, I mean, you know, when you live up here, you just have to follow the Supreme Leader of Queensland. It is what it is. <laughs> Look, we're very grateful that she's finally allowed us uh, in into the perfect Queensland. You should be. Uh, we will be back part for part two of this conversation uh, next week. Uh, what are we going to talk about again? All the other things that happened in 2021, including uh, the shift to total audio, the year that measurement changed, mm. all the controversy around whether companies should give JobKeeper back. Mm. So, so many things. There's still a lot, lot more that happens this year that we haven't got to just yet. Okay. Well, I hope you get a, a negative result very soon <laughs> uh, and I'll send you a photo uh, when I get to Hastings Street. Oh, enjoy the Surf Lifesaving Club up there. I will. Go <laughs> <laughs> get in the vaccination line today. Get vaxxed, baby. Carl can do uh, Get Vax Baby, and I tell you what, it was a light, light in my life this morning. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.